Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I'm the host and today's episode, I interview Kevin Ball. He's currently the sports science at Victoria University and currently consults pro rugby and AFL players and teams. Prior to his role at Victoria University, he has consulted and worked at a number of sporting teams, including Melbourne Football Club, Hawthorne, Fremantle Dockers, and the Australian Institute of Sport. Highlights from this episode, we discuss the importance for core strength and pelvic control for kicking technique, practical tips for coaches and developing athletes to improve your kicking efficiency, Kev shares multiple real-life stories of situations where he has worked with high-performing athletes in high-performance environment, the use of muscle activation or skill acquisition. Before we start this episode, for those wanting to improve your skill, your strength and power to gain a competitive edge this preseason, hire a Prepare Like a Pro coach and join our individualized coaching package. Head to preparelikeapro.com and join our email list for a free masterclass. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome, Kev. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Hello, Jack. Great to be on, mate. Apologies for this uh, storm in the background. It was a bit noisy. That's all right. We don't mind a bit of chaos. I'm sure that will come into the into the kicking side of things with football. <laughs> From a football Very good. <laughs> um, take us back to the, the beginning of your career, mate. At, at what age did you discover you had a passion for strength and conditioning, working in high-performance sport, uh, and then obviously your specialty in, in biomechanics? Yeah, I was pretty lucky actually. Jack, I um I really liked um sport and I liked uh conditioning and I liked uh was good at pretty good at maths and engineering. I quite like those those areas. And so biomechanics was the first one that I was really interested in. And I found a photo in a um in a newspaper one day and it sort of had in the foreground it had um a, a sports scientist with a computer screen and on it with a stick figure. And in the background it was a javelin thrower. And um Basically, like it was the it was a biomechanical analysis which I'd never seen before, but I just loved it. So I, I went searching to see what that was, um, and found it. Found out found biomechanics and uh, moved down that path of, of human movement. So funny enough, I met the guy who was behind the computer and the and my mates of the javelin thrower because um, I met them when I when I eventually went to the Institute of Sport. Yeah. So that was my background, and that was where um, where it all started. Very good, and. Your, your gut feeling seems like it, it took you there, as, as well as your knowledge base and your and your interests. Um, when you when you followed your gut and, and started working in the field, um, what did you gravitate towards, and, and what were some successful things that you did back then that felt you, felt like opened some doors for you for the, for the developing, I guess, strength conditioning coaches, biomechanists, people working in the industry. What would be some recommendations you'd make? Only early days, but before when I went to the Institute of Sport, I um. I pretty much worked for very little to start with. So for just just as a research assistant um, on not much money. Um, uh, at the same time, I was doing a lot of um, sort of a bit of a two concurrent things. I was doing a lot of a lot of playing um, elite level sport and hockey in particular was the one I was good at. Played a lot of league and union, but not uh, and cricket. But I was best at hockey, so um, I played national league and uh, Australian students, Australian masters with. With hockey, but so I was sort of concurrently looking at doing a lot of coaching uh, and playing and, and understanding how to 
you know, improve my own performance all the way along. Um, and at the same time, um, yeah, taking the opportunities, the Institute of Sport was great. Uh, that work experience was essential in terms of developing my network and my knowledge base. Um, it was great to work with you know, all these senior elite level biomechanists um, uh, headed up by Bruce Mason, but there was John Baker and, and Brian McLean were there, um, different sports they work in. Um, and then, then there was also, we got to work with all the other disciplines as well. So worked with Craig Purdom and uh, Peter Blanche in, the, in physio, physiotherapy a lot. Uh, Jeff Bond was in psychology then, um, and a lot of the psychology guys we could get to work with. Performance analysis, we really did then. Performance analysis didn't exist as it does now. It was sort of more a part of, um, well, we, we, we started to emerge from where certainly our, our area, um, and then the physiology side of things as well. Um, worked across Julian Jones. Also, I came across him a lot in, in the s area too, and uh, he helped out. Um, with, our, with our hockey team a little bit in terms of developing Olympic lifts. And so I um, had a few good, really good components that uh, came, in, came together. But I'd say the key bit to, you know, on the way was getting experience, getting experience, but also constantly improving the knowledge base. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, like, you know, you, the work that you've done in the biomechan- you know, biomatic mechanic space is very specific and specialised, even to, to a point within a sport. But what you're mentioning there, early days, it sounds like there was a lot of, um, different opportunities that you had and almost like a generalist approach where you'd help out where you were, where you were needed in, in each environment. Was that intentional or? Yeah, it was, it was for me. I mean, I think that was one of, was one of my key themes. Um, uh, you know, the, the, some of the questions you sent through are really good. So, um, and we were supposed to do this podcast some time ago. And um, so they've stayed with me and I've actually been giving them a lot of thought. Um, yeah. And one of the key themes with my work is the, um, the connectedness of, of it all. If you want performance to improve performance, then all, all the components are connected. There's no, um, you know, I get annoyed. It might come up a bit later on, but when people say, you know, set shot goal kicking is all, all in your head, well, it's not because you can't, you can't get the ball through the, the goals unless you actually make contact with it with your boot. So there's physics in there. Yeah. Um, so, but there's a lot of different components and there's, there's certainly a strong mental component to it, but there's a fit, real, really strong physical component. You can't kick 50 meters. You're not going to kick a set shot from 50 meters. You're going to it's going to fall short. So it's you know there's some simple things uh, like that. But just the connectedness of all things. They're all uh, it all combines in different levels. Um, so some of the players will be I've worked with in in kicking, for example. It's been a case of conditioning. So it'll be a an in the gym thing that's going to improve them without any sort of coaching, purely gym based work to either improve flexibility or strength in a particular area or um, you know, just general strength overall. Um, then sometimes it's um, it's a very much a mental thing where it's um, very little about anything else but uh, the mental approach in different aspects that we use. And then um, sometimes it's 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 more technical. And then it depends on the individual as well as to how they you know how they best learn and what they uh, how they have learned to. So being able to change them, um, you need to dabble into lots of different fields. Otherwise, what you won't you'll get. Well, you'll improve some, but you won't. You won't improve all. Yeah, you won't get to that sort of like realize your real potential. Exactly. Yeah, and and for like the the young athletes that are listening in and and you know are are wondering, okay, what can I what can I do to get better? I, I need, you know I recognize that I probably need to get a little bit stronger. I need to get a little bit more flexible. Um, I need to practice my my repetitions and get my skill work in, and then obviously boost my confidence, like you mentioned, the mental side as well. 
I guess start with the physical side. What what would be some common um, drills that you would do with young developing footballers to improve their their strength in the gym and and then their skill acquisition and then maybe go into the mental side as well. How can you boost your confidence going into a game, maybe if you are a forward? Yeah, all right. Let's, we'll, we'll talk about the physical side of things. Just a good good basic um, strength training program uh, is a really important one. Um, you know, for the sort of 14, 15, 16 year old athletes, they're starting to develop and get stronger. Uh, even all the way through, I would say that SNC is uh, essential all the way through. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a really good basic program. It's specific to kicking. The ball's in contact with the boot for uh, 10 milliseconds. Um, and it's, it's, you know, you can get a thousand newtons or a hundred kilograms worth of force, you know, if you're kicking it long. So there's nothing that can quite mimic the impact in the gym. So you need, need the kicking part for that. But just that good base core strength is a core strength is probably the one that's, I think it's changed the most in my time yep. um, as, a, as a crucial one. Um, and glute function, probably they're the two biggies. Mm-hmm. Um, the other stuff was, was, was pretty good beforehand, but core has been the, um, a really important one. And it's not great. It's not um, – um, I mean, I think a lot of junior athletes coming through now, they're, they're across, across core a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. During my time, that wasn't the, the coolest thing. So, you know, when we started – when I started working in 1990 with the Hawks, it was um, the gym sessions were, you know, something like, uh, let's say an hour gym session was 15 minutes, 50 minutes weights and then yeah, 10 minutes of five minutes of abs and five minutes of stretching, whereas it now it's sort of, and I'll say abs, now it's, you know, it could be half of that might be core or, or a third of that now could be, can be core work and connecting the top and the bottom of your body, um, which is a really important thing. So a good, good basic strength and conditioning program and making sure you connect that middle, getting your mm-hmm. core right. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the most common uh, physical problems with uh, any kickers, because you kick a lot, uh, is really tight hip flexors and probably um, glutes that are either not strong enough or don't, don't uh, fire when they need to. So, um, so one thing we'd mucked around with with, um, uh, with the AFL Academy one year was that we just tried getting some, some guys to uh, so we did a pre-test and then I've got some guys doing just lots of flexibility work on their hip flexors, which is really important, but some guys just doing some strength work on glutes. Um, and this kind of emerged basically it wasn't actually so, so much planned, but this is what the guys did because they, you know, the, the overall program was doing both. We wanted to get both the hip flexors going and the glute strength going at the same time. Um, and the guys who did the, the, the guys who just did hip flexing, hip, hip flexor strength, uh, flexibility improved by maybe, you know, two degrees. And that, that, that relates to about five more, five metres di- distance, extra distance. So that's, that's significant. Oh, so let's say three or four metres difference. Yeah. Uh, the glute strength guys got about the same. So two degrees, sorry, reference, what's, what's the two degrees for? So, so with the hip flexor, um, so how far you can get that thigh back, so in the, the top right. of your backswing. So like a, a two degree improvement. Yeah, exactly, hip extension. Yep. If you, you can extend your hip more. A couple of degrees, that gives you a few more metres distance in kicking. So... Um, but the hip flexor guys improved, it by, improved by a couple of degrees. So did the, uh, the glute strengthening guys. But the guys who did both at the same time, they improved by about, uh, you know, something like eight degrees. So not even two plus two. It was a lot more. So the com- combined, uh, the combined work was the best way, best way to do it. And those guys improved their distance by, you know, five or six metres. And that as just, just from that simple being able to get that, um, that leg back further. It's a bit like um, thinking about a tennis swing or a golf swing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Getting the, getting the club or the racket right back. So if you've got a tight hip flexor, it's like you're just taking the, 
club of the racket back halfway and then trying to swing it through. Increasing your flexibility means you can get get the leg back further and then swing it through so you get more more foot speed and then more distance. Yeah, that's great visual for the listeners that uh, maybe even hip, hip extension might have been S&C jargon, but, yeah, getting that leg leg back, like you're saying, with the, with the back swing. Uh, so you're getting more momentum through the footy. And potentially, I guess, um, you'd imagine your... Um, you might be able to handle more loads as well, more kicking with that with that function because you absolutely. That's been the reason that um, that uh, osteotis pubis has reduced a lot. Mm. Um, still floating around a bit in bits and pieces, but it was um, really rampant there um, for a while um, yep. probably through the early two thousands, late nineties and early two thousands. But then uh, certainly core strength was one of the big ones um, that. Uh, reduce the injury risk, as well as the hip flexor flexibility. Hip flexors and adductors, getting those guys flexible. The adductors being your groin muscles, the um, ones on the inside of your leg. Um, getting those two muscle groups flexible um, mm. is, is really important for both, for both, as you say, for, for both performance, but as you say, from an injury prevention point of view, yeah. um, that's crucial. Yeah, and I mean, even for the, for the footballers that, like, oh, my kicking's in a good spot by just, you know, working on, um, those areas that you've mentioned, you're going to improve your, your acceleration, your change of direction ability. So there's, you know, there's a lot of benefits by. Absolutely. There's a lot of, I'll do a lot of, I'll look at a lot of the uh, running actions to help me when I analyze a kick because there's yeah. a lot of crossover and, yeah. and exactly those things, range of motion that you talked about, um, uh, your strength, your, your speed, you know, the running on top of the ground versus sitting low, um, that hip control, all those things. But yeah, certainly from a, at a very basic level, for for all the guys, sort of got people listening who are trying to try and improve their their kicking or their skills. That that's just um, I say this to even the AFL guys. Pretty much start doing a good core program and good flexibility program, and just draw a line between now and the end of your when you stop playing. Mm. And you just keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. And and in your time at Hawthorne and and Fremantle, um, were there different philosophies in the strength and conditioning, the coaching, and the psyche side? Um, it was a little bit probably. Um, I saw bigger differences um, beyond those that, that change because a lot of the a lot of the staff went from Hawthorne to, or some of the staff went from Hawthorne to um, uh, to Fremantle. But yeah, look, it was a really good one. That that those first years at Hawthorne, we were very fit. I mean, at um, Fremantle in particular, where I was full time, we were very fit. Um, it was a uh, Adam Larkham ran the show, and he's uh, like an Olympic. Um, Sprints coach since since he, since he did that and uh, really brought a um, a fantastic uh, repeat sprint ability. He'll um, he might be picking up on this one, but that was probably one of the big changes at that stage. There was lots of distance running before that, yeah. Um, but the way he ran it and um, Bowden Babacek as well, so similar similar backgrounds and Bowden's a cracker. Um, yeah. But basically, they they come from the track and field background and. Um, just no, no running technique inside out for an individual and can get people running faster. Mm. Um, and not only just faster, but they'll, they'll be able to run faster for longer. So that was probably the difference. And more efficient, yeah, that's right. Yep. So that's probably yep. one of the changes from a distance running to a, um, a more uh, strength, uh, sort of a more interval-based, uh, high-intensity sort of running yep. rather than long, slow distance was the big change, but that's pretty much standard standard these days yeah and you mentioned off air that your role at Fremantle full-time was as an assistant coach specifically 
with the role of improving their yeah. kicking, the team's kicking uh, performance, and then as well, strength and conditioning coach. At that time, were you yeah. the only S&C in the gym floor, or were you specifically appointed as a strength and conditioning coach with the specific role of uh, almost consulting the S&Cs to, on how strength and conditioning can help their kicking performance? No, it's no, it pretty much a, the, the, an S&C role uh, there. So um, worked with um, Adam Larkham on the floor. Um, yeah. Running the uh, running the show, and particularly around um, Olympic lifts, were a big focus uh, at that point, and making sure, making sure guys could um, could do them technically uh, properly. Um, mm-hmm. But during that program, we had a, a lot of really cool bits that crossed over from from the strength side of things to the conditioning side of things, adding uh, little skills in between. So particularly when you that muscle excitation's up when you've just done heavy squats or, or cleans, mm-hmm. making use of that heightened level to then do, do some skills, whether that was uh, running drills or um, kicking drills. Uh, we'd add those sort of things to the program as well, which really made it sing. Um, so, yeah, like a pretty much a traditional S&C role, that one, but obviously with the work that I was doing, I could angle it towards, um, towards improving kicking. Yeah. Um, the other thing for me personally was great because I could understand, you know, you work closely with the players in that, in that environment. You'd, get to talk to them outside of outside of the footy environment and so you can talk to them about a lot of different things. You get to understand who they are as people. Um, you get to understand their bodies and what their strengths and weaknesses are or mm. you know how flexible they are, how um, how strong they are in certain movements, uh, where they what they need to work on, um, how they're going in their personal life, which can affect the, the way they perform. Um, and that combined with the coaching side of things was fantastic for me to be able to develop a good program for kicking and improving, improving, the, uh, improving the guys individually. Yeah. yeah, you mentioned something that I haven't heard of before in the industry where, you know, like um, basically doing contrast training but with kicking, with skill, so doing a heavy lift and then, you know, common in the industry you'll do like, you know, contrast, so like maybe a jump or, or some sort of plyometric. But in this scenario you're doing a, some sort of kicking. What, what, what type of drills would you be doing? Are they like punch kicks or are they yeah. long? For dis- yeah. So they really, yeah, that was, that was the ones we mostly work on. Um, some support leg work yeah. as well, uh, like running fast, you know, kicking on the run, being able to hold a higher position. Okay. You had to be careful with that one because it was, um, yeah, you just needed a bit more space. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but things so like uh, indoors, like an indoor space was there where you had like a 20, 30 metre. Yeah, we did. Yep. But we also had, I mean, it was where, where that was at South Frio. That was basically, um, it was, you go out the door of the gym and, and three metres away was the, the, the pitches, the field as well. So we could get out onto the ground yep. um, and do that stuff in between. We didn't uh, experiment with that a bit, a little bit around the core stuff, a little bit around kicking, um, which I think was useful, just a bit practically difficult. Um, but yeah, that was certainly of use. But just most of the time you're going to be in the gym and most of the things we'll do would be, from a kicking-specific point of view, would be things like holding a position, you know, running fast and then stopping really hard in a, in a good kicking position to overemphasize that, um, that support leg control and the core control. Um, one was uh, just laid a, um, a punching bag or a tackling bag on its side and used that to kick. So he didn't kick it anywhere. It was up against a wall. Yeah. Uh, but golfers... Golfers use this one. They'll have a, a hitting bag where they'll come in and they'll hit the bag with the, the club and they're looking to get a certain sound because they know that certain sound indicates a good, good position for impact. Um, so borrowing from that, the golf side of things, we try, try to do that with, with the kicking. So we're trying to get a good sound, a good, which um, 
which did two things. One, it, it made that foot more rigid, which is really important for kicking for distance and actually for particularly for missed kicks. Um, yep, yep. Rigid foot's much better. If you've got a firm foot kicking foot when you kick it, um, you'll kick it further. But also if you, if you do a slight missed kick, if you've got a firm foot, you're going to miss the target by a metre. If you've got a loose foot, you're going to miss it by five. Right. Physics okay. thing at, at impact. That means that if you've got that firmer foot, it'll hold its line better. Um, yeah. So, so working on that. And so that was the working on that um, ability to get that foot really firm. So just using a, a tackle bag. Tackle bag, and they're literally kicking that yep. uh, at power. And then are they isometrically sort of doing a hold, or is it just more? Not really. It's just pretty much kick, kick and, yep. kicking and, and hear the sound. So one of the yep. things that happened with the kicking the bag is that um, if you had a loose foot, it, well, sometimes it would hurt, but also yeah. Yeah. sometimes it would, um, it would sound different. And so guys would always just. Um, Subconsciously, unintentionally, which implicitly, they would they would um, get that position. Firstly, get a good contact position. And secondly, get a good um, uh, a good firm firm ankle at that point. Yeah. Hey there, Jack here, your host. Just here to take a small break from this episode with Kevin Ball. I hope you're enjoying to promote our interview episode 22 with Tim Gabbett. So, for all the sports scientists out there, or strength and conditioning coaches who want to up your game in terms of load monitoring and load management and learn a little bit more about the acute to chronic ratio make sure to tune into episode 22 we'll add it in the show notes and here's a little bit of a snippet from that episode from a acute to chronic ratio or just general load management when you're dealing with younger athletes what what's an important thing from a philosophy point of view like what what how can they i guess read their body better or self-manage themselves mm. Well, look, I think the, the the big thing that was like a light bulb moment for me with with load. I'd been looking at at training load and injury for a long time, and there was this this school of thought that high loads contributed to, to injuries. High loads caused overuse injury, and what I was starting to see was that our our players who were training consistently and had the highest loads weren't the ones getting injured. It was always the ones who were at low loads who hadn't loaded for a long period of time or had been in rehab and then rushed back. And then it, it's, it just dawned on me that it's, it's not load that's the problem, it's the load you're not prepared for. To listen to the full episode with Tim Gabbett, click the link in our show notes. Otherwise, search for episode 22. Now back to the episode with Kevin Ball. Enjoy. And you hear quite in the last few years anyway uh, in the industry about, you know, sports scientists and industry coaches and especially with commentators getting a bad name in terms of reducing players, kicking loads and all that sort of thing. So in your experience being in the S&C room, being in the trenches and, and specifically running a kicking program and an AFL program, what, what would you say is a healthy amount of volume of kicks for, for any player once they've got the technique down pat and you know they're they're moving efficiently and they they've got a good read of their body and all those type of things but can you handle a fair amount of volume do you think over yeah, a yeah if you can um they can handle more than they do probably i think i would also sort of say a few things on this i could probably do a whole podcast and, and be yeah. it's, been a, it's been a big big topic um yeah just a few snippets from across the board I, I remember talking to eddie jones the now english rugby union um guy and he was a coach and he at that stage, he was with, his, with the Australian team and Chris Connolly, who was our head coach, had a strong relationship with him. So he came around and spent a, a week with us um, and I talked to him about kicking and, and all the things that, that I do and um, 
which is really interested in. And I talked about volumes. I said, oh, that's one of the challenges. He, he said, well, it was a funny one. He said, look, if, all, if those were my guys, I'll be just saying to the S&C guys, just go and get them fit enough so that I can do as much kicking as I want. It was quite funny. He was pretty combative about it, and which yeah. I quite liked. It was quite a good – he made a really salient point, I thought, is that um, – and that from that then I, I looked down that path, and that was the conditioning – more strongly down the conditioning path because he was right that kicking is just another load on the body. It's a certain, it puts certain loads on the body. Um, but you need to be, as I said before, it's a hundred kilograms worth of force if you're kicking hard. So conditioning is, plays a huge role in, mm. in kicking. Um, and you need to kick, you need to kick the ball because you can't mimic that particular one. You need the background. You need the really good, strong core. You need good, strong, good flexibility work. You need a really good, good basic S and C program behind it to be the best kick you can be mm. um but you need to kick uh it, it it's put essentially is that that's yeah. the case the yeah. nuance i guess in this one is that the, the contrast and i talk about this in some of the talks that i do but i had two players at Frio. one who could kick and we, we tracked i tracked all the kicks um he could kick 600 750 kicks a week um whereas and didn't get injured in the whole five years I was involved um, through kicking. But then there was another player who um, actually I worked with him at Hawthorne as well. Um, you'd hold your breath after he did about 30 kicks in a game because he was really very explosive, very, uh, you know, uh, very tight, didn't have a lot of flexibility. Um, and so could, he was at the high risk end of kicking. So there's certainly nuance that's needed in there. Um, we've probably, we've probably gone to the min- and the lowest common denominator, which is the, um, to the detriment of the, the majority of the squad in terms of kicking loads. Yeah. Um, but I do think it needs to be considered as a load and you build up to it and you need to condition it and it's just, it follows all the same, um, same principles of conditioning. If you, you, know, you, don't, you can't um, – one of the things that came up in that talk with Eddie Jones was the, the fact that rugby union guys would often spike their, their training the way that they, they were doing it. And I've worked with the Rebels and with the – um, the Wallabies and also the um, a lot of the guys in a lot of rugby league teams uh, now, um, and that, that's the way they do it. They basically have a particularly rugby union. If the if the you know the kicking coach, the Australian kicking coach came along, then they'd be ticking along at maybe fifty kicks a week, let's say, um, and all of a sudden they'd do three hundred because they, he'd be there, and so they'd do two two or three huge sessions, and it was invariably um, you get injuries. So. Um, Important to be able to condition for it. Important to, important to do it. You've got to do a lot of kicking, but you've got to build up to it. You can't go out in the paddock first day after the first day of preseason and do 300 kicks in a session. You'll be you'll be sore for a week, and you you may get injured. Um, just need to build up. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly something that, like part of my learning curve in football conditioning is that it, you know it, it should be in the Christmas program, just like your high speed running meters exactly. and your change of direction. Yeah. Is your kicking? Absolutely. It should be. I mean, the stuff I did at Freo, and it doesn't have to be kicking uh, at footy, especially. Like you can, the stuff that I did with some of the guys is I'd make sure they'd take a soccer ball with them and they'd, down, they'd be down at the, the, um, at the beach, mm. just kicking a soccer ball around with the, or another boy said kids at that stage. But, um, you know, just have a kick around with the, you can kick a soccer ball, you can kick a Gaelic footy, you can kick, um, a league and union ball, which they quite liked. It kicks something a bit different. Yeah. But just to get that, mimicking that impact is really important because otherwise you get two weeks of, of, of uh, off training and that's been a, that's been a big thing. And um, it was always a big thing coming back. We'd, we'd always invariably lose the first couple of weeks in kicking because mm-hmm. we had to start again almost. 
Yeah. And been, had been kicking for a couple of weeks, so we had to go again, had to get that impact. But impact was the key. So just do that however you want and see. They don't have to go away. And if they want to, that's great. Keep kicking. But they don't, it doesn't have to be those, you know, kicking a Sharon uh, all the time, just as long as you're making impact, you're getting that impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you mentioned the, the individualization and how some super resilient, you could do as many, almost as many kicks as you want, uh, double what the normal group is doing on average and, and they can handle it over five years, no worries. Um, and then someone else, you know, can't do not even close to, to what the group's doing. Otherwise, you, you're starting to twitch and, and an injury um, or experience to show that injuries that are going to pop up. Well, apart from uh, injury history, you mentioned explosiveness uh, and being tight. Um, were there areas that you, after a few years of recognising these traits, that you could sort of prevent someone that could start to handle more load, or is it almost? Yeah, easy? absolutely. Yeah. No, it, um, it, it took a few to, a few broken eggs to figure this out too. By the way, so it wasn't uh, wasn't all smooth sailing by any means. Um, uh, and there was, you know, that you you you, um, you don't know the limits until you tip over them. So because of, did uh, there were a few guys that got injured because they, they either did too much or they they spiked. You know, these things are are stemmed from from the numbers. But um, um, certainly the the probably the the big indicator would be from an injury point of view just tightness in the tightness around the hips. That's probably the the, big one. the one the one red flag that um, is. I haven't seen too many guys, um, you know, they, they can be hyper-flexible um, and get injured, but there's not too many of those around the place. Um, it's usually a tightness thing that's that's a problem. And you know, a lot of guys actually kick better after they got injured because what had happened is they'd reduced their, 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 across the board their loads um, of everything and then they'd start to build up again, but it would give, them give themselves time to reset the hips and, and be a bit more flexible, but... Just a crucial one to get that, keep the hips flexible. So hip flexors, that's the, you know, your rotators, glutes, um, any, any of the muscles that go across the hip um, is probably the, ma- the major indicator. Um, there's a few more technical things that I see too uh, around pelvis, con- you know, pelvic control during the kick, um, which takes, um, you can see it on a high-speed video um, yeah. more easily than, a, than with the eye, but that's, um, and that's what I needed to do early days. In early days, I'd uh, learn a lot of this stuff from high-speed video or from a biomechanical analysis, but then was able to train myself to be able to observe it. Um, but pelvic motion during the kick um, is another biggie. And, and I imagine just like referencing it to speed running, you know, all different types of kicks are different loads. So how, do you, how would you quantify that? You're literally watching a lot of tape. Like I imagine in the gym you've you sort of got your eyes on them and you can track, but uh, when they're in skills and there's – 40 blokes on the track. Yeah. How'd you, how'd you go about doing that? Yeah, it's a really, I mean, it's a great question, mate, because that's, that's, that's sort of how a, there was a, there's an, a big evolution of how I'd measured it. So initially, um, and it didn't get from me this one, it was just, just a, a kick count, a simple kick count, which was, uh, I was pretty pissed off about this kick count because it was, it came back to me in a, one of the match committee meetings saying that you've just had these guys do a 120 kick session. I said, it was there's nothing like that. Um, but then I found out that, you know, beforehand, they counted the kicks they did beforehand, and these are the ones that were only over five metres and just kicking while you're talking about what you did on the weekend. So there was about, and there was about 40 of those. That was an issue in itself that these lazy 40 kicks I got rid of because that's, they, were, they were actually detrimental, not from an injury prevention point of view, but from a skill point of view, that they wasted kicks and that they used so much volume of them that they actually 
bad habits crept in because these lazy kicks would creep into game. So we, we eliminated that after this count. Um, but oh, yeah, on that one, I imagine the lazy kick, just you mentioned firm foot and how important that is. Yeah, when you're kicking and you're talking and you're chatting, you'd have a pretty relaxed foot, wouldn't you? That's right. Loose foot. Um, you're leaning back. You fall off the ball easily. You're yeah. just standing there, just swinging the leg through. You can yeah. be going across. You can be going all over the place. It's, it's not. Um, it's not purposeful. And the problem was, you know, they said they did, did 120 kicks, and I said, well, 40 of these kicks were. So a third of those kicks were these rubbish kicks, and so a third of the kicks that they did in any one day were, were not not more than wasteful. They were actually Definitely. detrimental because the, um, the 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 negative skill transfer could go through. But yeah, in terms of key intensities, it's a big challenge. So I went from that to probably the, the, the easiest one that I did was, was based on video. Um, if, I had, if I had some helpers, I could get them to track training and figure out distances. And um, so, but the, the, the two probably two main keys was uh, distance and speed of approach. So your highest intensity kick is you're running flat out and you're kicking 50 metres. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kick 50 metres off a step and that's a lot less... Um, load on the body than a, a flat-out kick on the run. Um, probably the only, the only challenge on distance is that, um, I mean, you've seen some guys do this, so a 20-metre kick, you can lob up like a nice little weighted kick. Yeah. Meter you, but I can also drill it as hard as I can. And the yeah. drill it as hard as you can kick over 20 metres is the same amount of force as if I'd kicked it 50, just you know, with more elevation. So that's the challenge. And since that, uh, we've done a lot of work since, um, and we're continuing to do it with, Accelerometers stuck on the ankle to figure that out. So you know you, ah, sweet. I'm used yep. technology that can can measure that, so we can indicate an intensity rather than a you know a distance. Yeah, and then that yeah okay, and, and so that's something that you think that's going to be starting to come into place for. Yeah, well, I think it'll probably be. Yeah, I think so. Um, we can stick something in the boot eventually, which will be really handy for to indicate that, so that you can. Um, just come off the track and, and know what, what sort of loads you've done. But a very, like, I think um, my thoughts are for, for the juniors training, uh, a simple a kick number would be mm. it's, it's suitable for that. Um, to so know, knowing what, you, what you're doing, how many you're doing. But probably that's the other, the other point I made from that is just then is be mindful of the kicks that you do at the start and the end of training. So that the end of training ones are actually usually good because they have a kicking contest at goals. So that's fantastic. But the ones at the start of training, make use of them. You don't have to do specific – you can do some specific work on the stuff you, you need to work on. Um, I made up a lot of games, good fun games that we could play in that time so it would be more useful. Um, things like the game I called Warnies, which was – you know that one, Jack? Um, yeah. Yeah, do, do all those kicks at that video session. But the, yep. So basically that one was um, where you had to – it was just a kick to kick and I had to make you drop it. Um, and it was Warnies, so it was doing lots of different spins, not – not at that stage, it was Warnies and Brett Lees. Now it's uh, Nathan Lyons and Josh yeah. Hale or yeah, Mitchell Stark. Yeah. So you're not, you're not kicking it fa- fast, you're kicking it slow but with subtlety. And so that, that, that game was good fun because it, um, it teaches you how to shape the boot. It teaches you how to do different, different kicks. So you can do torps and bananas and top spinners and, and floaters and, and you try to land it just before um, where the, the player is or the, the, the guy you're kicking to, the, your batter if you like. Um, yep. And you have to try to make him make him drop it. So it teaches you a lot about shaving the foot. foot teaches you about uh, you know ball drops, and then that can be handy itself in a um, bit of reverse engineering. And in, in if you can shape your foot better on the ball mm. to get get the ball going to where you want to go, that that'll actually improve your general drop punt kicking because when you do drop it a little bit 
badly, you can shape the foot so that you can still get it to the target. Might get, might be a bit wobbly, but you'll still get it there. So Luke Hodge was, and Sam Mitchell were two great comp- uh, proponents of that um, that particular one. Um, James Hurd from many years ago was he was really good too. So he, people he often got criticised for um, ball flight, which wasn't perfect all the time by by all means, but it was because he was just really good at so anybody else kicking the stuff that he kicked. You know, the ball will be missing the target by five metres. He just got these wobbly ones that still got to the target because he could shape the foot really well. Yeah, yeah, it's great. We've talked about you know power and distance and and punching the kicks and all that sort of thing. But yeah, it's that from the skill acquisition you know point of view, the more options you practice, the more you'll have on the field, the better you'll be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, getting that balance is really important, and that's where that's where those forty kicks at the start of training can be this hugely variable. Yeah, around have fun. Oh, just quick funny story. I, I did this at the Storm. I worked with the Storm for five years, and um, I was doing this with with uh, Cooper Cronk and Cameron Smith and Billy Slater, um, and it was good fun. They they really loved it. Well, Greg Inglis was there at that stage too, um, and they got they had a lot of fun with it, and they'd um, they'd played a lot uh, in the games. And then a um, and the forwards looked like the look of it. And for those of you who don't know rugby league, the, the backs are kind of the they're more athletic. This is this is very general now because the forwards are really athletic too, but um, Sort of the more the ball players, whereas the forwards tend to be the guys, the big guys who are the, the real powerhouse. They run in and crunch into each other. They're the tough guys of the of the team. So anyway, one of the the forwards got a hold of this game too, and they were playing it. It was hilarious watching them kick it before games and get, before training. But they, they had a great time. And yeah. Anyway, there's a tra- trial game, and the one of the forwards has put one of these kicks in. So one of the good things about warnings is it's like little grubber kicks that they use in in rugby league kicks that you rolling behind the line to then try to get, get the ball and score a try. Um, so one of the forwards actually did this, ran up to the line, did one of these grubber kicks, ran around, picked the ball up and scored. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be a, considered a legend at the club. This is great. And <laughs> yeah. I got to the club and I saw the Steve Kearney, the forwards coach, um, coming across the oval, thinking, I was thinking, oh, he's going to pat me on the back here. And halfway across, I thought, no, he's not going to pat me on the back. He's not looking real happy. And he got close to me. I thought he was steaming. And he basically, I'll leave out all the expletives, but he basically said, if he ever sees, if I ever put a, a, an idea in the a forward's mind that they can, they can kick in a game, he's going to... Yeah. Let well, you know about it. Let me know about it. That's, <laughs> said, I want him, I want him thinking about anything but running straight ahead, the bloke in front of him. And smashing him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, well, that's awesome. That's, that's a great story. And, and going back to your uh, career development for a second, um, who were some strong influences or mentors, if you like? Um, that you had to? Yeah. Dad, was, Dad was the, the first really big mentor for me. He was um, uh, ahead of his time. We had a great group in the, around hockey and cricket in Tamworth, where I come from originally, New South Wales. Yeah. Um, and they were just ahead of their time with... with um, you know, with training, it was all lots of um, games for learning and, and small-sided games and numbers and um, stuff that at that stage wasn't done. It's done a lot more now, but it wasn't at that stage done. So, you know, it was more like lines and and um, and more sort of isolated stuff. So they, he uh, and he was just a really good coach, and it gave me a passion for coaching. And and um, probably the the other thing he really instilled in me was watching off the ball. So n- never watch He never used to watch on the ball. A game, whether whatever it was, like he'd come down. I'd come down when I was working at Freo. I'd get into games, and he'd be, he'd never be watching the ball. He'd always be watching to see what was happening up the ground or down the ground to see what, why, you know, why is why is the full forward in ten meters of space now? Mm-hmm. So he'd be watching the full forward and fullback contest, and then to see what was going to happen, one or two plays on, 
um, or you know what was happening in the back line. Just think if, if this if this wall gets turned over. So um, he was fantastic at looking off the ball, um, and that was a, one of the crucial things that I think is um, sort of been a big part of my coaching as a result. Understanding what's at the other end. It's not just the, necessarily the kick, but you know what's happening at the other end that meant that kick missed. It could be could be the other end. It's a connected system. Um, Chris Connolly was a, a huge um, huge influence in my uh, AFL career. He was um, he employed me first at, at Hawthorne, um, and we had a lot of success those first couple of years. And then he went to Frio, uh, and I went with him uh, in a full time capacity uh, while he was in in Perth. And then um, uh, worked with him in Melbourne as well, uh, Chris. But lots just lots of lots of learning from a footy point of view, from a life point of view, um, Chris. Very funny man, and he's um, also a really good footy brain, and um, yeah, just just lots of little things I could pick up from him. And he, he didn't even know he was teaching some of these things, I don't think, but he just would say things. And one one I really remember, we're at Glenferry Oval. Um, it was late, just about finished training. We we're just doing some kicking with, I think it was him and Johnny Barker, and he was mucking around. Anyway, he said to me, "Right here I am. I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a. Uh, I've got the kick after the siren for the win." He said, and and you've, you've given me confidence in my technique that I'm going to be able to do it, and I know I can, and he's just gone through and he kicked it straight through the middle. Yeah. But that, that, the fact that he said, I've given him confidence in his technique, not I've given me a good technique, but I've given, given him conf- confidence in his technique was a really, really important um, different, different, different uh, angle to what I was thinking. So certainly, and with good technique comes good confidence for sure, but then making sure that people get confident in what, they, what they're doing is such a crucial thing, and it's certainly a case of, I mean, if you've got good technique, then you'll, you'll be more efficient. It's pretty simple. Um, mm. But being confident in that technique is really, really important. Um, so lots of gold all the way along with Chris. Um, probably the big one with Mike McGuire it, uh, has been the, the rugby league, my rugby league um, guy that I've, I've worked with most. Craig Bellamy was really good uh, as well. Fantastic, great thinker uh, in, in the rugby league. Uh, Mike McGuire worked with at the Storm and at the Rabbitohs and at Wigan and in the UK for a couple of years. Just really, um, uh, in that stage, rugby league, um, you know, was was behind a long way behind the AFL. But these guys were were at that level, uh, at the at the AFL level in terms of you know implementing um, just new and and improved ways of of going about it and um, and you know. No surprise that they both had a lot of success in their careers. Um, yeah, so they're probably the, the main ones. And there's, there's guys outside of – lots of people outside of um, outside of footy, um, a couple of golf coaches have worked with tennis, uh, which have been really handy, particularly around when you're talking about set-shot goal kicking or in the case of rugby league and union, the goal shooting component because that's a very much – it's more akin to um, a golf game. At that situation, than a than a footy game, isn't it? It's not a dynamic situation. It's not a um, you know general play kick. It's, it's basically you just having to kick the ball through through a couple of posts. Um, and so I've learned a lot from from golf coaches over the the journey um, and how they go about it, going through routines, going through um, processes of, of aiming because they you know they have to be really precise with with where they aim the balls and that the ball and that's a really uh, it's a crucial thing for for goal shooting. Um, and psychology probably was the other, the other biggie. I'm leaving out the, the, the sort of sports science things, but the um, just I'm keeping it to specific to sport. This one, uh, but um, Neil McLean was a really big influence in um, 
uh, for me in at, at Freo, but always get always like getting involved with the psychics in the in the clubs I work with. Yeah, and with that, the working with the sports psych from a performance point of view, and and like you said, in the gym was a good opportunity to get to know the players and build that relationship with them to help your coaching. Um, what what would be some things that you do like like you mentioned the importance of building technique, but then building confidence with your technique, um, bringing those two together. So let's say you get a player to a point where their technique is now efficient um, to a point where you feel like that it's in a good spot. Now we want to build confidence in it. Um, what would be some things that you do for, for players in that position that's effective? I think, um, I think making sure that they, they understand that they've improved and showing their improvement. So we, I mean, we've got a lot of stats in, in, in AFL and that can, that can certainly help. You could got a lot of stats in, in lots of grades of footy and that can, that can help with your efficiency. Um, you can get, um, I mean, feedback from other people that can often um, be good, but don't expect it um, because a lot of times I did, a lot of the guys I've worked with uh, at the AFL level, there's sort of three levels of your kicking really. You've got the, the guys who are really good kicks who people talk about all the time. And you've got the guys who are really bad kicks and they, they, they talk about all the time. But then there's this yeah. big middle group you just don't talk about kicking. And that's a yeah. good thing. So I talk about the guys who have moved from the, you know, that they're a bad kick to into this, well, nobody's talking about it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's a good thing. That's, that's a good positive, that's, that's a positive space to be in because you're being really efficient and you're not, you know, you, you're not making those mistakes uh, anymore. Um, but I think probably getting back to it, that, that really does, it, it's a very connected system, that one. That's where the mental and the, the physical are so connected that um, they almost go hand in hand. So you, you improve technique and then that confidence just simply comes from that because in improving your technique, then you're improving your efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kick longer. Um, you can you can hit more targets. Um, uh, you can kick while maintain greater speed while you're kicking on the run. Um, so these little little fine things uh, are really important. So they tie in tie in closely together. So it's a good question. Um, no, probably yeah. Probably the best answer is it's very much connected. So um, making sure that um, you appreciate you. Your improvements that they might be small, but they're important. So they're a couple of percent, and it can be a bit like watching the grass grow in that respect. Because um, you you can be you can improve slowly, or you can do some jumps, but you basically, and improvement isn't like this nice line; it'll wobble all over the place too. So it'll kind of your start point will be here, your finish point will be here, and in the middle, it's all squiggly all over the place. So you'll improve, and then you'll, you'll fall back a bit, and you'll improve again with your technique. But um, um, yeah, so good mechanics, good mechanics purely means uh, better performance and the better performance equals your confidence. Yeah, and it's sort of like from my understanding, you know, you can build someone up to be an absolute beast in the gym and then you get them in a wrestling situation and it takes a while to be able to transfer that and, you know, get aggressive but also be able to use the technical skills of, a, of tackling efficiency and all that sort of thing. So if we pair that to kicking for a second, you can build the perfect kick, like you said, when in it in a controlled setting, and then you build physicality to it, high pressure um, in a congested situation. Um, and I guess that's where, like, the warning drills and all that, having more options is important. Um, but how, how important is it to practice perceived pressure and high intensity around the around your kicking technique as well? And like you said, running at speed. Yeah, look, good comments. I'll just get back onto one of the things you said about the transfer, and I think that's, that's a really important one where we can evolve more. Um, from a, a decency point of view, you know how we talked about the, 
the kicking stuff during the gym work. Yep. Um, in isolation I think almost, then, yeah. What's that? Yeah, it's almost like in isolation. Yeah, exactly. Doing it concurrently, I reckon, is really important. So one of the one of the stories that I mean, growing up with you know watching a lot of rugby league and being involved with the rugby league, the um, there was always that uh, criticism. This was probably when early days of SNC starting up, and mm. they they do it in such a way that it was almost it was in isolation, um, and then they they come out and start playing, and then the criticism was, oh, they're all slow. They're all too slow now because they've been doing too many weights. It wasn't because they've been doing too many weights that. They potentially won't do the right weights, but definitely there wasn't concurrent concurrent uh, training. So all of a sudden you've got this different tool that you're running around with. So you've got a different body, but you haven't practiced the skills. You've got to almost relearn the skills for that new body. Um, there was an example when we were at Freo where we got one of the guys um, wanted to build up more to play, play closer to goal. So, um, and the decision, the bad decision was taking him out of training, skills training. I was desperately wanting him to keep kicking because for six weeks he just did uh, a lot of stuff that made him bigger. Yep. Eight weeks. And when I got him again, he just had, he was swinging a, uh, like a kilo and a half heavier club. His leg was yeah. a kilo and a half heavier. So all of a sudden he was, uh, and so it was so different. And the sound of the ball that he kicked was so different. And the way that ball flight afterwards was completely different. Everything had changed as a result. What we needed to do was just keep him kicking during it so he could, you know, there's a slight increase in strength, then he would just, you know, make a subtle adjustment to his kicking. And then if it was concurrent, then um, it's a lot better. So, where you can do that, uh, and wrestling is a really, really good one. Um, if you can do it concurrently, then the benefits are a yeah, heaps greater. It's a really good highlight for yeah. me that the, you're, um, this, the skill, the skill has to keep up with the conditioning changes. Otherwise, it's it's almost a new skill they're learning. Yeah, yeah, because you know, such, the great kickers, like you said, are able to read the next play or where the where the play is going and running towards in a leading pattern and um and all that sort of thing. Be able to read the plays, obviously. Yeah, that's right. And even just, I mean, even backward from that, just the, the plain old physical way of um. Uh, but that's a good point because then also this play was you know when he would see somebody. Running, he'd know that he'd kick at a certain height and a certain with a certain amount of force to be able to get it there, and all of a sudden that changed for him because his his uh, leg was coming through differently. It was different mass, um, all those things. But yeah, I mean, certainly the um, you've moved on to the like the perception side of things as well. Um, but talking about those and talking about how getting under pressure, uh, that that's hard to it is hard to train that one. Um, lots of games, as many games as you can, or keeping kicks in games. Um, there's a few little tweaks we can you can do, like making your training a bit more random rather than block, mm-hmm. and help. So, in th- by random and block training, block training is like where you do ten set shots from in front, thirty meters, um, and then random training is where you might do 10, 10 shots from complete, always different distances, or even better, you do ten shots during a whole training session where you're doing lots of other stuff in between. Mm-hmm. I'll have just one shot. Bang! I have a shot. Then we go back in. We do another drill. One shot. Um, so um, we've done that. We've done that quite a few times at training, where we'd have a bin of balls at either end, and then at the end of a drill, right, everybody goes up and does one set shot. We're back into training, so trying to randomise it. So that could certainly help in the pressure side of things, because that's you know from a set shot point of view, um, that can give you that that sort of um, uh, can get you close to games. 
Um, making it harder, like making you manipulating the small side of games, so having a kicking game where you, you might have a five by five, but making the, the space smaller, let's say, so there's less space such that you have to get the ball away quicker and you can have sort of two, two small spaces. So you need to kick to the spot, to the different spaces that can, that can help, that can improve you. So it's sort of more time pressure usually than physical pressure because they're training. You're probably not going to get smashed. Um, yep. but, but it's still, it's a good one. You can, you, time pressure is one that you can do safely. Um, uh, as far as the physical pressure goes, then um, we'll do sessions with it. It's just hard to do uh, lots of, and so that's where, where games come in handy. They're not coming handy. That's where games um, fill that gap. Yeah, yeah. And and what about the the best kickers that you've worked with? What what have you learnt from them? The ones that do it really well, well in games. What are some of the big big rocks? Well, some of the really good technical ones. So Nathan Chapman was fantastic. He's now doing the. Um, He's pro, he's pro kicker with the. Yep. So he was probably the first one I saw. I remember Jade Rawlings telling me he's the best kick in the club. Um, and so I looked at him. I looked at his technique um, a lot. So and one of the things of one of the a big group of, of kickers is that they've got really good range of motion in their knee, and their hip. They're the guys who kick long. Um, so Greg Inglis was really good at that in rugby league. Uh, Matthew Pavlich was really good at, at Frio. David Mundy was probably, David Mundy's probably had um, the best technique I've seen out of anybody I've worked with um, overall yep. from a, um, and then. Um, As in field kicking. Yeah, just a, just a general, just technical kicking that, that without, without the um, um, where to put it. I mean, as far as, um, as far as the general play kicks, there's so, so many good, good kicks that are really efficient. So, um, most recently, I worked with um, uh, Geelong, and you've got Joel Selwood, who's just a really efficient, efficient kick. Um, uh, Menegola is really good as well; got a really good, good technique. Um, probably Tommy Hawkins, fantastic uh, with his um, with his set shots. Gary Ablett was just amazing. He was probably the he's probably the complete package. Would have been the, the best I've seen in terms of really good technique um, and just a really good just a great sense of, um, I guess the, the other things that he had with his kicking, you had a great sense of where people, how much time he had. And then a very efficient kick um, with that upright ball drop, which is really, really good. It's sort of not, not many people do use, and I don't know why they don't, because um, it's, it's, yeah, it's really good. It's a, it reduces the um, motions of error in a lot of, a lot of um, in, in that drop, in that ball drop space. Uh, and he had a wonderful sense of you know where to kick the ball to as well. Just had uh, it was it was um, it was really good. I would say probably across the board, you know, every kicker doesn't mean any kicker that I've had I've worked with that doesn't have can can improve can't improve anyway. There's, there's always certain areas they can improve, whether it's um, you know set shot kicking or some guys that are a lot better on the run than off a step. Some guys are a bit longer than shorter. Um, some guys might struggle to run fast, kick slow. So um, I remember developed some drill, drills around it, um, found that with, um, with Lids um, at Richmond where he, cause he would, he'd be running really fast through the middle and then uh, they'd just put an extra man in defense and they would sweep and, and kept getting his kicks where he was going to. So he had to develop this short kick where he could drop the ball over the, the sweeper or over the, um, the spare man and drop it into the space and behind. So, Developing those different different kicks um, uh, is really important. But the, the attributes of a really good kick is good awareness, good spatial awareness as to where they are, mm-hmm. um, good technique, 
it's um really important um and and I, I should say i haven't probably haven't emphasized it enough it's there's no one technique for all it's a very individual so i've got one of the earliest days um sessions i had aaron sandlins and peter bell in the same kicking group so um just to some some people might not have uh, heard or seen those guys but um peter bell he'll he'll um i know he'll pick me up on this it might have been five foot six and um Aaron Sandlins is the tallest guy in, in the in the um, in the league at seven foot two. Um, I've been able to convert those. I just always say in, in Imperial, but there's a funny shot where Aaron Sandlins is dropping the ball. And he's just released it, and just in the background is Peter Bell, and his head is at the same level as where Aaron Sandlins is dropping it from. So, why would you expect that those two guys to have exactly the same technique to 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 um, get the ball going? Because um, just very different dimensions. So it's very much an individual specific thing. It depends on your um, your limb length, um, the dexterity with your hand and the size of your hand even to, in terms of the ball drop, um, your flexibility and your strength as to what, um, what your best kick is. But understanding your own best technique and your own best kick and then working that into games is really important. So um, the other thing the best guys do is understand where their, where their strengths and limitations are. So, And the good guys only use their kick, the ones that they kick well, they they both set themselves up to be able to kick those those ones in the first place, mm-hmm. and then execute those ones that stay within their, their their margin. So if they're really good at thirty five meter kicks, you know, forty five degrees, then they'll they'll look for those. They'll know where the, the kick is before they even take the ball, and they'll be around and then and then line themselves up for it. Yeah, um, shifting over to the coaches that might be tuning in, as in tactical coaches, I imagine you would have. Um, worked with a lot in your time and, and potentially even consulted where you're working with the athletes but also consulting with the coaches behind the scenes. Um, what would be some common things that you've done in workshops and, uh, and do you think's handy for, for coaches to start to understand when wanting to improve kicking if they don't have a kicking mechanic? I think probably the, probably the best thing from a coaching point of view to do is that um, I do a lot of the individual specific stuff but also um, more broadly. Probably just understanding this is one of the first things I'll say at any uh, coaching conference I'll go to is that the, the two two really two real key points is one it's a connected system kicking it's not just about the kicker mm. um, it's also about what's happened before so you know you think about the perfect pass that I get to or you think about those scenarios where there's a turnover but there was a sloppy handball at the start and then so player B had a bit had to take a bit longer to kick it to player C who then was completely under the pump who just wheeled around and bagged it on the boot to try to get it get it forward if that handball is good, then these play B and C and D get it with more time. So mm. that what's happened before can affect the kick. And it's not necessarily the kicking. You know, the fact that the guy who's turned it over gets attributed with the turnover, but it might not have been his or her fault. Um, set up to fail, yeah. It was set up. It was just it was put under that 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 problem, that fault. And so and on that one, you know, a turnover is not necessarily a bad thing. And on the stats, so if you are using stats and most of the time, well, depending on the coaches, you know, what, what level you're coaching at or coaching the Mighty Knights, or assistant coach of the Mighty Knights, um, 17 and a half this year, which um, was a lot of fun. So we don't have any stats for those guys. We're just watching uh, up to when you do have lots of stats when you can have a look at it. But a turnover isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can be the best of you know, the best the best option. You're under the pump on the goal line. You can't rush it through. You just have to bang it out, out towards the junction and then hope for the best. Um, it gets turned over. Well, that's better. it's a better turning it over there than in, in here. So. Just, just looking at it a bit more broadly and also what's happening at the other end. So a lot of times you'll, there'll be a turnover, but um, 
and this is one of the problems we specifically had at um, at both Frio and Melbourne. It was the off the ball work, so the ability to create space for where the ball's going. So the really good teams, Hawthorne, were fantastic at it. They could create lots of space um, ahead of the ball into the regions that they wanted to kick it. And so what would happen then is that even if the kick wasn't as exact, it wasn't that precise. So you could be a couple of meters either side of the target, and it's still a successful one, the, the player can change direction and pick it up, turn away they go. Um, if you haven't created that space, you're kicking to more congestion and so you're going to, it's going to get turned over because you have to hit a pinpoint pass to get the, to the player. So connected systems are really important. Have a look at what's happened before. Have a look at what, what's happening after and, and where you can improve it. And certainly the, particularly the after is one that you can get big gains on. So just making better space up forward uh, or where you're going for the ball. So give yourself that margin of error for the kick by having more space to the guy you're kicking to. Yep. Um, you still need your precise kicks, but that, that can certainly improve it. Um, um, probably the second one, so there's the turnovers, the connected system. I'll probably just, just from a general point, of, this is more of a general coaching point of view, is um, I talk about the coach's toolbox being really important. And, um, you know, just to do the analogy, when well, you're walking around home, you've got, you got a hammer. And you're walking around home, you found it, find a nail, and you get bang, nailed, got it. No, he said nailed it. Just want to avoid that one. Bang, got it. Found another nail. Bang, got that one. Found a window. Bang, oh, that didn't work, did it? So, and we've all had. Well, the reason I say the hammer is because there's a lot of. We've all experienced, I'm sure, coaches that that had a hammer, and that was, but that was all they had was a hammer, and they'd hammer, hammer, hammer away. Um, it just doesn't work. It's not. You need you need tools. You need a good coach's toolbox because the the hammer is undoubtedly going to work at times. And it's undoubtedly going to work for some players, and some for some players it's going to work. It's going to be the one you use all the time. But not everybody's like that. So um, for some, you just need different tools for for different players for for various reasons, different personalities, different. Um, they've got different different things they need to work on. So some things are just simply effort based, but then some things are real subtle, a lot more skill refining, refining skill based, and you can't have the sort of the gung ho, you know, go 100 percent at it to to fix those. So develop your coach's toolbox. Lots of different ways to. There's lots of different ways to get the same the, the result that you're after, and yeah. you just need to find use the develop your toolbox, develop your skills as a coach to be able to have different skills to try to apply to a to a kid or to one of the players you're working with um, to find that find that spot. And one of the tools which you just mentioned before is getting rapport yeah. with the players because you've got to get. Um, I think probably the I would say, and just to speak to a, a point outside of what what the question was, but. People often say to me, oh, you know, when somebody's 23, you can't change their technique. And so that's completely wrong. And I've, there's lots of examples of where people have changed technique. The older coach is Dennis Lilly, um, uh, famous Australian fast bowler, uh, had dreadful back injuries and had to completely change his, his um, technique to come back. And he did. He came back and he came back successfully. Uh, Tiger Woods has changed his, changed his goal swing six times. Um, yeah, wow. And this is at the peak of his power. Um, and there's all these guys. I mean, I worked with, with um, some guys who, who work with prosthetics, and you're getting these, we're getting these uh, returned soldiers coming back from Afghanistan who had to re- completely relearn how to. They had to learn how to walk. Had to develop new skills to be able to walk again because they had, they lost a leg with a, a landmine or something. And, and all these people are doing it. Um, the key bit there is buy-in. If and I always say, if somebody's got buy-in, I'll be able to change their technique. If they don't have buy-in. Point. It doesn't matter. They won't. It won't happen. Um, yeah. Getting, getting that buy-in is so important. Yeah, and, and and being able to deliver purpose, like you said, so that you know, what are they trying to change it for? 
uh, and understanding their why and um, you know for for these players whether it be injury prevention but some it might be just to get one percent better with their performance yeah exactly that's right and um, so I've, I've had a lot of changes of technique of guys kicking from AFL guys who are in their 30s because they had to because they were right. and part of that technique changes part of it's a strategy strategy change finding where their best kicks are but and part of the technique change is more what's happening before the kick as in when they're getting the ball they're they're angling their body so that they're getting going to get into a kicking position earlier, so they've got a little bit more time to be able to kick. Yeah. Um, but they're they're subtle, they're subtle changes, and so most people wouldn't see see the change. Um, yeah. And so that's why that, that's part of the reason that it's considered that it's it, you can't change. It's certainly harder, and it's a, it's um, again it has different challenges, but it's doable. Yeah, yeah, and like you said earlier with Deledio, it like, can be quite. Like contextual almost or situational for their game on what, what's the opposition doing to disturb their performance and, and working out how to combat that. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So understanding that one too. And I think, I think a lot of coaches have a good, um, I think just going back to the coach, the coaches have got a lot of different strengths as well. So coaching to, to their strengths can be good too, finding the guys who are, can, um, that you can most improve. So for me, obviously there's a, a strong technical component. So I'll do that. Um, I always used to work closely with um, one of the assistant coaches, the other assistant coaches from the game smarts point of view, to because we needed, we wanted to connect. So at um, you know at Melbourne, that was Kelly Donald worked really closely with to uh, Josh Marnie and um, Scotty West at Melbourne uh, and Sean Wellman was there at that stage. So those guys, but we just sort of work work together in terms of improving improving the the, the player. So having that combination was was. Um, was where it really made it sing that program because we needed both. You needed the um, we we could hit all bases. Then we got the technical stuff. We got the situational uh, stuff, and then we're both across the personality aspect of the player. And you mentioned uh, accelerometers in boots, and potentially that's where we're going to start to move towards. Um, it's a bit of a watch this space. It makes a lot of sense, uh, and and it'd be really exciting to to see that come in. Um, what, what's something you're passionate or interested in at the moment that you're doing some research and, and self-learning about? Sorry, mate. Yeah, I've just um, I've just changed modem, so hopefully they've... That looks good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Yeah, great. Yeah, so, so certainly that technology is going to help. Um, there's, there'll be a lot of different things that could could emerge that are going to help, I think. Um, and they'll help in, uh, help in different ways. So a lot of them might not directly be... Yeah, the player. It could be, in fact, a lot of them could be independent of, of what the players, the players' own understanding. It's the the uh, it's the coaches or the SNC coaches' um, role to understand that and then modify accordingly. A bit like um, you know, going to the doctor, you don't want to know all the stuff that you. It's not wrong with you, but um, you just want to be be fixed. And so, um, I think a lot of that stuff because there is a lot of information there, and that's part of the challenge with technology uh, in the space that both myself and you work in. Jack, because there's a lot of information there that we've got. How to um, one of the roles of the the coach and or even sports scientist or probably the sports scientist or the um, SNC coach at that that level is um, understanding the data and filtering through what's important. So getting rid of the stuff that's not important and then delivering what is important and finding that you know quickly and and, and easily and made made it to be easily understood because that's passing up the up the or along the chain, if you like, to then um, for people to make decisions, so they can make more informed decisions uh, at that next level with that info. Um, I think the so yeah, the technology will will improve, and that'll be certainly good. We've mucked around a lot with um, 
such a way. There's, there's been a lot of mucking around with um, ball tracking uh, as well more recently. We're doing a lot of stuff with FIFA um, in the soccer space to uh, um, looking at trying to improve ball tracking. So there's a number of providers. They've got sort of um, some of them have got chips in the in the ball. Um, some track just by with lots of video cameras. They're tracking the players and the ball with video cameras. And so we're validating a lot of that stuff. Um, that'll be really uh, that'll be really good stuff moving forward as well. I think that's probably um, being able to get things like um, ball speed, simply ball speed, would be a fantastic uh, addition to to the coaches' um, ability to or to have have feedback from a, a, an individual develop, development of an individual kicker. Um, because the ball speed stuff is the is, is is the key. It's pretty much the it's the it tells you how far the ball's going to go. The faster the ball speed, the longer the ball can go. Um, yeah. so that's the thing. To and track, we can yeah. use that with distance, but yeah, that that'll be certainly from my point of view. That's what I'm most looking forward to being able to have something that can get ball speed as as they do with you know golf. Yep. Golf has got the systems. I don't know if you've seen them, but you can you can pretty much um, it's an easier prediction because it's a stationary ball to start with, but. Um, they've got all these systems now where you can hit hit the ball and it can predict where it's going to end up. Yeah, yeah. So I'll watch this space. It's exciting. Mm. We'll we'll start to wrap up, mate. Really uh, thoroughly enjoyed this episode and having you on, mate. It's um, been invaluable uh, to get an insight on your philosophy and and also hear all the stories in the in the different environments that you've been in in high performance sports. So, Thank, thank you for jumping on. We'll go into the personal side of the, the bit of the get to know Kevin. It's a bit of a lighter part of the, of the podcast, mate. Um, first one is which movie or TV series has impacted you the most and why? Uh, we can throw in book as well if you want. If you well, want. actually, uh, I was thinking about this from the questions before. Funny enough, it's a coaching one. It's Ted Lasso is the most recent one. I really like Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've Ted seen Lasso. that. But no, um, I haven't. Up, um, he's about a, it's a, uh, an American... I think football or basketball coach who who coaches one of the English Premier League teams, and he's basically got no idea about soccer and um, no idea about um, uh, not, not much idea about England. But he's, he's a learner. But basically, I really like that. I found it it's, it's quite inspiring because he was uh, he was a learner. He was green. He, he was always he always wanted to learn. So even at that level, um, which is one of the sort of which I really liked, um, there's a really good scene where he's playing darts. And t- tells a story about how, um, yeah, that's one of the, the good things about him is that he might, might seem a bit dopey, but he's, he's uh, green. So that was, that was a good one. That was one of the most recent ones that I've, I've liked and we've had a bit of time to watch a few series. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have us Victorians, that's for sure. Um, I'll note that one down. That's on the list. Uh, Favourite inspirational quote or life motto? Um, I probably got it just that one. Stay, stay green. That's what I really like. This um, keep, keep, keep searching. I've always liked the um, the Chris, the coaches I've most enjoyed working with are the, the seekers. So uh, Chris Connolly, Mike McGuire, um, Craig Bellamy. They just keep seeking. They keep seeking the next thing, uh, looking for what else. What else can improve? What, what, what can we do? So they never say. They never chuck. A, you know, always looking for different ideas. So yeah. stay green. Um, keep learning. Yeah, like that. In your work life, what, what do you? What makes you angry? What are your pet peeves? Oh, that's right. <laughs> I think I'll be quiet when I saw this question. Um, 
Probably well, quite a few things. Um, probably the main thing is not not being able to see past your own area, um, which has implications for other people. So um, staying too discipline specific without understanding implications uh, beyond. So you know, yeah. um, it's not just about it in specific to my my area. So it's not just about physiology, and it's not just about biomechanics, and it's not just about skill acquisition. It's not just about Psychology, they're, they're all combined. Um, so understanding the combina- how they combine is really, really important. I think probably my pet peeves is probably we still t- there's still too much, um, particularly in academia, uh, too much overconfidence in, in individuals within their own area. So they'll be very, very confident in that area, but that's, it's a blinkered view and it doesn't see outside of their own, own area. So yeah. bigger view. Yep, yep. And and uh, your favourite way to sp- spend your day off? Oh, there's a few things. Um, got into got into boxing since uh, we've been locked locked down, so that's been good fun, good f- yeah. fitness. Yeah. Um, play a lot of sport. Play a lot of sport with the boys. Still play a fair bit of hockey. Um, but I think if I wanted to kick back and do nothing else than fishing, fishing. Yep. On the river or boat, fly fishing. What's your favourite style? Uh, all of those. Um, yeah. Probably the most more um, out on the fishing kayak at the moment. It's the most the most common one catching King George Whiting in Western Port. Oh, how good! And this is the COVID-free world for the last one. Favorite holiday destination? Uh, Spain. Yeah, Spain without a doubt. Um, uh, come on, it's probably the main thing. Come on, and their red wine. <laughs> yep. Oh, very good. Well, yeah. Thanks again, mate, for for jumping on. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed this chat and yeah, thank you for sharing and all your experiences and, and providing practical tips for developing footballers, coaches, S&Cs uh, and like you said, how important it is to have an integrated approach for when working in high-performance sport. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, mate. I, I definitely got That's a lot great, more. Mate. No, Love your work, Jake. Uh, what, what's on the horizon for you for, for 22? 22, well, hopefully we'll get back into um, the footy stuff for me is- uh, less at the moment because of the salary cap. I mean, the footy, footy department spend. Um, so I've, I'm doing work with more individuals um, yep. in, in a couple of NRL guys and a, and a few of the AFL boys, more individual-based stuff. Yep. Um, probably from a work-based point of view, we've, um, we need to get back over to, to Europe again with our work um, with FIFA, tracking, uh, validating the, the player tracking devices that we've been doing for the last couple of years. And last year, the big challenge was doing it remotely where we um, – I was up at three in the morning on an iPad watching testing being going on in Etihad Stadium in Manchester, uh, making sure everything was right for us and turned out it wasn't. So we've had a fair bit of work ahead of us. So, but hopefully getting back to a bit of travel and um, conferences that aren't uh, two in the morning. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, a bit of normality for 22, but that uh, all sounds very exciting. Um, for, for those that want to follow your work, where's the best place to get in touch? Uh, probably the um, uh, probably the uni email I've got um, or LinkedIn. Actually, probably LinkedIn would be the best one. I reckon. Yep. Yep. Maybe to pass on details for that one. It's uh, yep. That'll be the best. Yep. I'll add it in the show notes. Um, yeah. Thank right. you for everyone that that's tuned in, and and um, I will keep you in uh, the loop when we have our next episode. It'll be next Thursday at eight thirty p.m. We'll post it on our Instagram. But thanks for everyone for tuning in. I'll see you on the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content 
such a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So. I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just to be to say what I'm grateful for. Sort of three things, and um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to yeah like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football, or you know it might be whatever as an SNC coach you know if something's you're having a hard time. Um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm -hmm. I think I was a bit single minded back then, and um, you know I thought there was one way of doing things, and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear, fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment. It would have got me a lot further, and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, like just yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. 
and there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.